Good day and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who knows all about the team from down under. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I knew it was going to happen. It still got me. Oh boy. Oh boy. The good day. Good day to you. And fair dinkum. Um, Okay, so... Uh, we are here to talk Women's World Cup. We are. Group C. That mm. is the aforementioned Australia. I hope any Australia fans are still listening. I'm not sure they were mentioned. I believe they were just stereotypes. The aforeference. <laughs> there we go. Australia, Brazil, yeah. Italy, and Jamaica. Not this, of that order, but yes. Okay, sorry. That's a, This is a fun group though, right? Yes. This is a fun group. Yes. Um, I want to get pretty much straight into it. No, mm-hmm. you have something else to say. No, I don't. I just, as with yesterday, the need to clarify came about because I got momentarily panicked thinking, was I supposed to preview a different team? <laughs> <laughs> We've done that once at some point in our history. I'm not sure if it was you and me. Yeah. I don't think it was you and me having the same preview. I think two other people, when it was four co-hosts, had previewed mm-hmm. the same team. Let's say it was their fault. Okay, it I like that plan. Laura, Albert, Peyton, or Josh's fault. That checks out. Or Ryan's. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you ready uh, to tell me all about the, the first seeded team in this group? They came yes, from sir. part one, Australia. Mm-hmm. Australia, uh, nickname the Matildas. I'm calling them the Curvortexes. The Curvortexes. <laughs> that's, that's their nickname for me. Is yes. that a reference to Sam Kerr? It is indeed. Okay. Because she's just that good. She's just so good that I think it's easy for Seems to focus solely on her, yeah. much to their detriment because Australia is much more than just a one-woman team, yes. although you would be forgiven for thinking they were a one-woman team because Sam Kerr is that good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, tell me more then. I will. I will tell you first, though, that uh, I was pulling up my, like, I did my, my search in my Google Drive to pull up my Australia document. I came upon my uh, preview document for the Australian men's team from the 2018 World Cup. Okay. A lot of similarities because that 2018 Men's World Cup team was plagued by uh, negative situations at the Australian FA. Yeah. There was some like coaching. Not, not the best FA in the world. I'm just going to say that well, based on what I know. More on that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a uh, coaching turnover that was kind of unexpected. Bert Van Marwijk is still figuring out the best lineup heading into this competition, into their World Cup. Yeah. Kind of the same uh, for the women's side because uh, Alan Stachik uh, was hired in 2014. He led the team to a successful era in World Cup qualification. He was then sacked in January. January for January 2019 mysterious reasons yes um, so FFA chief is, executive wait, is that what they officially said we're n- firing him for mysterious reasons no uh, kind of more than that but kind of not enough either okay. um, Austa- uh, Australian uh, chief executive David Gallup uh, referred to they did like two confidential surveys uh, f- for I think women in the national team it might have just been women in soccer I forget um, but it essentially pointed to like there was like a toxic atmosphere that oh. certain players uh, I think it was anonymous but certain players felt like they couldn't get support or that they weren't being encouraged to be their best. Um, so he was he was fired in January. Maybe that's a good firing then if the players weren't happy. Except that this is where it gets confusing because Sam Kerr and Steph Catley, the captain and vice captain, uh, respectively, yeah. expressed sympathy for uh, Stachik on Twitter. Huh. And then uh, uh, FFA director Heather Reed made comments implying that there was like improper conduct and breach of uh, breach of contract. That was not true. That is like they came out this week. Basically, the Australian FA had to release a press statement saying like, hey, we just basically kind of wanted a new coach okay. is essentially what Again, they had to do. Not the best federation in the world. No, no, it, not at all. And their new coach, Ante Milicic, uh, is the former men's assistant, men's Ashley assistant. He will take over an A-League expansion side, MacArthur FC, in 2020. So they have basically found a temporary manager to take over right. a team that were doing very well. 
And so it's it's confusing to me because those surveys would indicate that things weren't very good, but then there hasn't been a sort of public reaction to that from the players saying, like, yeah, we're excited to have a new coach, we're excited for a new direction. Instead, it's been much more, yeah, we didn't see this coming and we're not quite sure how to feel about it. So that's all very weird yeah. because I've been thinking of Australia as one of the – not favourites, mm-hmm. but maybe just like just below the favourites, kind of like a team that realistically could win the World Cup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, I I think. Am that, I wrong? No, I think that that's a fair way to think of them, and I think they have the talent to do so. I think it's just that when you take away a manager who, again, this is where it's confusing because some people it seems did not feel he was the right manager to take them forward, but also some felt like he had gotten them to where they were and gotten yeah, yeah. them to this kind of strong position with these strong players, and so I think. If the coach were still there and it were a good situation, then I think they definitely are World Cup contenders or maybe even potentially favorites. I think they still have the talent to get there. I think there's just now a little bit of indecision or a lack of like like specific knowledge about how we're going to deal with every single situation because uh, Milicic, the replacement manager, is still sort of figuring stuff out. He's still figuring out personnel. He's only been there for like four months now. So Milicic is the coach. Yes. Do you ever read on what you think he might do? Yes. And like which, who the key players will be and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Are, I'm, I'm interested in the background coaching drama, but I'm more interested in hearing about these players because I know they have a lot of good players. They do. And really, I only know like a couple of them, so I'm excited to learn about uh, you know the team as a whole. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it would... You could say that Australia will be in something approximating a 4-4-2, maybe a 4-3-3, depending on the shape, depending on the situation. But it's basically uh, 4-4-2 with Lisa Devana on the left uh, as a left, left midfielder, yes. but kind of pushing into a left wing yep. role. I would say uh, Tamika Yallop, formerly Tamika Butt, but uh, married, now Tamika Yallop. Uh, she will move maybe a little bit more central. <laughs> That's an upgrade in second name, I think. <laughs> that could be, and that's uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why she took yeah. her partner's name. Uh, yeah, so uh, Tamika Yallop, I think she'll N- move. Nikki, up. but wishes he could do that. <laughs> uh, Tamika moves inside Ellie Carpenter, uh, who Travis and I talked about on the Top Door Soccer Show. Is she the sort of uh, raiding right back? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, uh, teenage raiding right back at that. Is she, she wow, is indeed. Right. She is nineteen years old. I think, um, why do I know? Maybe from when the U.S. played Australia. Which, did she like do damage up that right flank yes. when the U.S. played Australia? Yes. Yeah, Ellie and, Carpenter, okay. and plays for the Portland Thorns. And t- okay. Travis and I talked about her as like a young player to watch because she already has 31 appearances for the Australian national team. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, she will basically be the one to like push aggressively forward and their sort of 4-4-2, 4-3-3 becomes a 3-3-4 at times because they get so many bodies forward, they get so many uh, numbers into attack. But one Ooh. of the reasons why they're able to do that is because they have a uh, strong defensive pairing of Alana Kennedy and Claire Polkingholm as their two center backs, kind of established center back pair. Yeah. Ahead of them is the player that I wanted to spotlight or one of the players I wanted to spotlight, Elise Kelland-Knight. Elise uh, who, Kelland-Knight. Yes, okay. who will be uh, their central midfielder, 28-year-old midfielder for Reign FC. 106 appearances for Australia. I think she only has one goal for the national team, so she's not the goal scorer, but she is sort of the deep-lying interceptor and the calmer downer, is how I'm going to put this one. Because she she's not necessarily like flying into challenges. She's not really knocking people off the ball all the time. She can definitely do that. So she's not Julia Not so much. No, it's much more of a, like, kind of reads the situation, steps in, wins the ball, and then slows it down. Can play balls forward, obviously, and that's what Australia wants to do. They want to get the ball forward. They want to establish possession. highlights, and Mm -hmm. Kellen Knight was, like... Playing some beautiful yes. through balls, yes, yeah, mostly but, for Sam Kerr to run onto. But I think, but I think it's not just this like frenetic. I guess the reason why I want to put point on that is because it's not just this frenetic. Like, play the ball forward, run onto it, give it to Sam Kerr, let Sam Kerr score. Yeah, I think that's what some teams would do if they have that one like talismanic figure. But because Australia have such depth, 
I think it's much more, yes, yeah, sometimes we'll look long and kind of keep the defense on their toes or on their heels, rather. But then also she can uh, like split split like two defenders and find somebody in space, or she can I play see. simple passes. And that's why I think she's very important uh, for Australia. And then, her, yes, her obviously. Name, her name one more time. Uh, Elise Kelland Knight, uh, okay. Knight with a K. Uh, and then, as you said, more than capable of playing like long balls out of the back. She also takes set pieces, takes corners, takes free kicks. Oh, so her score a free kick, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think she will be very important for Australia. And then, obviously, Sam Kerr will be slightly more important. Are we going to um, talk Sam Kerr? We are going to talk Sam okay. Kerr because she is the other player that I definitely wanted to spotlight. 25-year-old forward for the Chicago Red Stars. 31 goals for Australia. That really doesn't do it justice. She's won the Golden Boot, I think, twice in the NWSL, twice in the W League in Australia. Uh, she scores every type of goal you could want. She right? is, yeah, I think that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, if you're not watching the U.S. Women's National Team and you're looking for like one more team to watch or just kind of a neutral team to just enjoy, Australia would be one because they have so many young, exciting players. They've got so many talented players. And then they've got Sam Kerr who can score diving headers from close range. She can score these weird like pop-up headers from 12 yards out where the ball just kind of goes over the goalkeeper and drops in. Yeah. She can shoot from far away. She can place the ball like very confidently. I, I really enjoy on breakaways that she seems to be very good at like trigonometry, ge- like geometry of like yes. spotting her angles, figuring out the exact I've, spot to put the ball. I've seen her go around the keeper a lot and get to what looks like a really wide angle. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh no, Sam Kerr, you've messed it up. Oh, it's in the bottom corner. It is. She seems to be able to like cut across the keeper, then cut mm-hmm. it back the other way. Yes. And, even, and then you will see like defenders on the line <laughs> desperately stretching to try and stop it. And it's just out of their and reach. And it's just out of their and reach. It can't be luck if she's doing it multiple times. Right? No, I think she knows her angles. I think that's yeah. a big part of like we, we talk about with Leo Messi, how he kind of doesn't have to pick his head up at a certain point because he's just aware of where he is in the box. Yeah. Sam Kerr seems very good at knowing once she gets past the goalkeeper where she needs to put it. Because I've also seen those ones where, yeah, it's like she rounds the goalkeeper and then plays it back across the defender who's kind of overrun and they look like they've almost yeah. been shot in the back because they're trying to make the play <laughs> to get back to it and just can't. Like platoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, can we talk about Sam Kerr's face? Yes. She looks. She always has this, I'm, I could stab you kind yeah. of face. I mean, like, she looks constantly mean, but I think it's a look of determination. Right until she scores. And then yeah. she looks like the happiest person on the yes. planet and she goes and does her back handspring, which is always enjoyable to watch. But yeah, I'm with you. It's it's the mask of intensity yes, until there's a goal. And then it's the mask of enthusiasm. It is. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. But, but I also, again, I do think, though, that she is so dangerous when it comes to goal scoring and maybe stabbing. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but like it's I think it's easy for defenses to get overly focused on her. And even then she I've seen her score headers over two defenders and get by two defenders to score a goal. But it also allows somebody like Caitlin Ford, who if they go with kind of two central strikers, Caitlin Ford will be the other one. Yeah. She is more than capable of scoring goals herself. So <laughs> it's just like it's not just one uh, attacking option similar to like the Australian men's side with Tim Cahill. It's a little bit different yeah. when it comes to the women because so they've got lots and lots uh, at their disposal. It's a star striker backed up by a really good team. Yes, exactly. Yeah? All right. Exactly. Sorry, there's one thing that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. kind of tactically that I wanted yeah. to pick up on. Did you say that sometimes they get so many people forward that it looks like a 3-3-4? Three, three, yes. So... Are we talking? So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. casting my mind back to the US versus Australia game. Yeah. The US won 5 3 in the exactly. end. But I remember it being this wide open game. Yep. And we were concerned about is the US women's national team being too open? Yep. And now I've heard you say that, I'm thinking. Oh, maybe it's Australia that brought that openness to it. So are we talking about a team that's going sort of all-out open, attacking, and 
and we're going to see lots of goals. With a mixture of pragmatism, I, I okay. think against I th- uh, I I have not seen this anywhere. This is my interpretation. So yeah, make yeah. of it what you will. Oh, we but, should put that disclaimer at the top of this show. For, yes. Um, <laughs> Everything about all these teams. We certainly yeah. should. I think that what Australia will do is is want to play aggressive, high defensive line possession soccer and force their opponent to sort of change their game plan to deal with that. Yeah. Unless they're playing a significantly stronger team. And then I think they probably change it a little bit more. And for Australia, that means like what, Germany, France? I would say also the United States. I think okay. the difference is that that one friendly that you're talking about, I think that was them maybe experimenting with, well, what happens if we go at a team oh, like the United okay. States? That's, okay. that's the vibe I've gotten from that game. Yeah, yeah. Because as you said, there were so many times that they were so open. And, and I keep going back to that high line because we saw Alex Morgan trying to beat that line 10 times in that game. Mm-hmm. Not always succeeding, but trying. And I I think that that was Australia sort of seeing what happens if they really push it. And the answer is they lose, but they still score three on one of the tournament favorites. So maybe that's – I think we'll see where if Australia ends up meeting the United States or meeting France or Germany, maybe we see some sort of like hybrid system where they're still aggressive in getting numbers forward, but maybe not like suicidally aggressive against a team that can (laughs) obviously exploit that. Um, And I think maybe a good thing to do is to just remind people of the Mm -hmm. name. So obviously Sam Kerr, the center forward, the central midfielder. Was. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was just listening to you talk. I was yeah. excited. Uh, Elise Kelland Knight. Elise Kelland Knight. Mm-hmm. And then the raiding right back. Ellie Carpenter. Ellie Carpenter. I think she's really a player to watch. Because when mm-hmm. you have a right back that can influence a game, like I've seen her do, yeah. that's going to be terrifying yeah, for position teams. I would agree. And then Lisa Devanna on the left yes, uh, can obviously score goals, as can Caitlin Ford, who will be kind of the support striker. Uh, my final thing I wanted to say about Australia is, it, it's kind of a downer to end on, but it's I wanted to repeat it because... Is this back to the Federation? It is. Uh, because <laughs> It's kind of. I was joking. It's okay. kind of the history. Like that was where I was going to go initially with kind of the narrative of this team. Is it is continuously like succeeding and finding ways to improve and get stronger as a team, as like a national team. All in the face, I would say, of the Australian FA. Uh, in 1974, the foundation of Australian Women's Soccer Association was established. It was not recognized by the Australian FA. Uh, the women didn't play a game outside of Oceania until 1984. They didn't play a game outside of Asia until 1994. And they still do not get much backing. I think Australia's budget... Because oh, it costs to travel. Yes. Yeah. I think Australia's budget, like the Australian FA's budget for soccer last year was like $12 million. And I think the majority of that went to the men's side because right. it was a world World Cup year. I do not think that that percentage has completely flipped because it's a women's World Cup year. So yeah. I think there's always favoritism shown towards the men's side of the game in Australia. And even then, the men's side doesn't necessarily enjoy the Australian FA. So right, yeah. it feels like it's kind of uh, the Australian women are succeeding in spite of their federation, not because of it. How about the uh, the league, the W League? Mm-hmm. I always think of it as the place where Americans go in the off season. I think because we have the opposite, um, we're in different hemispheres, right? So yeah. it's the opposite seasons. Do you know who else goes there in the off season? Who's that? The Australian national team. Do they? Uh, yes. Uh, the uh, W League found in 2008, uh, nine teams, four going to the playoffs. Uh, 13 players on the roster currently play in the NWSL, three wow. for Portland, three for Seattle. But then a lot of them go back and play in, in the W League in the offseason, similar to some American players. So a lot of players who basically make a full calendar year, give or take, yeah. out of playing in the NWSL and the W League, yes. right? They uh, should do some sort of weird merger where like the teams just play 
like this, should you have the same teams? Yes. And just flip back and forth. Yeah, I, I said it very quickly. I should, I should repeat it. I don't it actually that, like, mean that, by the way. That's no, just a, one of those weird Daryl ideas that doesn't need to go beyond this room. And that's why I Shouldn't kept have talk- said it into a microphone. And that's why I kept talking over it. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I, I said it very briefly, but I think Sam Kerr won, like, two straight golden boots in the NWSL and two straight in the W League. And I think those were, like, in, in, like, the, space of two in years. the same years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Such is her ability, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else on Australia before we move on? No, I think that's it. Other than they're another one similar to Norway that like, I knew a little bit about heading into this, but having yeah, yeah. previewed them, they're one that I definitely want to watch. I think Australia, I know you, you pre- you're going to be previewing Italy and Jamaica. Jamaica. Uh, so maybe this is just the bias that I have familiarity with these two, but I'm really excited for Australia-Brazil. I feel like that's going to be a solid game in the group stage. All right. So Australia mm-hmm. in the preview books. Yeah. Um, Italy, Brazil, Jamaica still to come. But first, but today's first. show is sponsored by fbref.com. It's mm-hmm. their third appearance on the Total Soccer Show. It is. If you don't know about fbref.com, it is a stats website for soccer. Mm-hmm. All kinds of deep soccer stats on there. Uh, they're adding more and more all the time, going back historically, and they are building up their women's soccer section. They now have rosters for all the women's World Cup teams. They do, uh, including Australia. I was looking at Sam Kerr before we started recording. First off, because I think they have her realistic height uh, written down, not to say that anybody is... Wait, is there a fake height somewhere? Well, no, but I think there's always a little bit of math you can do when it comes to soccer players and actors. Yeah. That, like, if an actor is listed at six foot one, they're five foot. 11 uh, <laughs> and I do think that extends to athletes as well Sam Kerr is listed as five foot five, which I think is probably how tall she is but yeah. also really surprising because as I said she's very good in the air mm-hmm. uh, yeah her five foot five frame has not stopped her from scoring many many goals uh, I did the math she's played f- uh, about 5,100 minutes for the Australian national team has scored 52 goals. That's a goal about every 99 minutes. Ooh. So I think if they have one more friendly, they should try to make sure that she plays like about a full 90 so that she can score very early on in Australia's first group stage game. Or they should like wait till she scores and then take her off. <laughs> and then you can really get her minutes per goal. <laughs> well, and no, no, good. well, see, they could do that. But what I'm saying is, though, that if you do that and take her off, then statistically she's not going to score for another 98 minutes. Oh, I see. So I you want to like, <laughs> put her in the position where that next game she scores inside the first 10 minutes. <laughs> Well, um, so you found that on fbref.com on the website. I did. You can also sign up for the newsletter in the nav bar. I've signed up for the newsletter, so that's where my stat comes from. And what have you found in the newsletter? Um, In the newsletter uh, today, this morning, Mm -hmm. was all-time Women's World Cup appearances. Okay. So the leader in terms of number of games played at Women's World Cups, Christine Lilly, Mm -hmm. obviously, with 30. 30 World Cup games for Christine Lilly. Wow. Second place is Abby Wambach. 25. So Lily and Wambach both retired. Third place, or joint third, Formiga. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Brazilian Formiga. More 41 years old. She's on the Brazil roster. I'm assuming she's going to play. She has played 24 Women's World Cup games. So, one or two appearances, she overtakes Abby Wambach and takes second place in the all-time appearances. I worked out that, assuming she plays every game, Brazil needs to make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And then she's level with Christine Lilly. And then either third place playoff or final... She takes the lead. It's possible. It's yeah. unlikely, but it's possible. Well, more about Brazil later, yes. right? I've we're, heard they're maybe, they're maybe not as good as people would expect. Eh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, do you, like, is that the full list, or do you just have the names that you've mentioned? On I've there? just got the top, basically okay. the top three. I was just wondering, Formiga's tied with several players for third place, but she's the only one still okay. active. I was wondering where Marta is on that one, but I'm guessing she's just a little bit further back. I didn't back. see her name. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So there we go. Fine. So fbref.com mm-hmm. is the place where we're getting all these stats, and click on the newsletter to receive the Stathead newsletter for even more stats. And they're sending a group-by-group previews. They're one-day 
stay behind us, which is perfect for us. That's perfect for <laughs> us. So thank you to FB Ref for Unless sponsoring. Unless they work the weekends. Yeah, unless they work the weekends. Yeah. Don't do that, guys. <laughs> well, actually, we're doing that this weekend. We're going to be covering the, the Champions League, League final. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, sometime this weekend, there will be a show out at some point. <laughs> um, but uh, before that, we're going to finish this episode okay. by moving on to our previews. Daryl, you want to talk some Italy? I do want to talk All right. some Italy qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 20 years. Their last World Cup was 1999. Um, and then the big irony that everyone in Italy has noticed is that the men failed to qualify last year, mm-hmm. and then the, which is rare, right? I think the last time they failed to qualify was like 1958. Um, and then the women qualify for the first time in 20 years. So it's definitely sort of the uh, women's national team is in the ascendancy compared to how the men's team were doing. Uh, wait, wait, sorry to jump in. But when you, when you said that, like, like my, in, my instinct was to make a sort of like it's Italian like comment. And I realized, is this the most stereotyped group possible, do you think? The four nations Maybe in here. Maybe in your head. I'm just saying like if you are a lazy – like if a lazy comedian doing accents, are you looking at this group like, yep, this is the one for me? <laughs> like Australia, Italy. Jamaica and Brazil I feel like they I all I think Brazil is the harder one right? I think it is probably yeah. but I feel like you just kind of like wash wash I don't know you, like, I'm just trying is to think like, Brazilian Portuguese what, sense like Brasil like I forget how I you're see, supposed I to see, say I it see. all properly and like <laughs> like I, you know so you just like like accent some things and talk about carnival and you're fine <laughs> all right all right so the Italian women's national team the spicy meatball the nickname is mm-hmm. The Azura, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the feminine version of like, the blues, sense. like for the uh, men, it's Azuri. Yep. Um, but it should be the basics. The basics? But not in a bad way. Okay. But not in a bad way. Because one of the reasons this team has managed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time in 20 years is that they, they do the basics and do them well. Okay. Coach uh, Milena Bertolini, she says, I don't care about formations, but I do care about concepts. And she plays a very basic Four four two. Is she Bruce Arena? She, <laughs> she is not. All right, but she. So she plays, and I've I've watched uh, a couple of uh, Italian games. There's mm-hmm. some work qualifiers I could find on YouTube. She plays a very basic but functional four four two, which feels very old school to me, but it works. And the thing we know about a four four two, especially when it used to be more popular, the way it really works is a series of partnerships. Mm-hmm. Right, four four two is about a series of partnerships. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So I'm going to walk you through some of the partnerships that make this 4-4-2 in the Italian national team work. I, I appreciate that because, to be honest, what you've said makes total sense. It is not a way I have ever thought of a 4-4-2 before. But as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, two strikers, two central midfielders. I'm yeah. assuming left midfielder, left back, center back, center back. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I've there's got to be like that. There's got to be like a balance of the two midfielders. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a, like a good partnership between the center backs. There's, there's got to be a balance between the strikers. You can't have like two fast strikers who want to run in behind, for example, because then you just get stretched out. Really you know happy you brought this up because you've just gone a, lo- gone a long way towards explaining some of the problems with Brazil. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. So your Italian four four two. It starts at the back, mm-hmm. centre back partnership of number five Elena Linari. Um, she is partnered by number three, the captain Sarah Gamma. More on Sarah Gamma later, but here's an example of a good partnership. Number five Linari is the player that sort of steps high and wins the ball. Uh, number three, Gama, is the player that maybe just sweeps up a little behind, mm-hmm. right? So they've got that good, solid partnership going. And then I think um, a big thing as a whole, the back four, th- the two or three games I saw, great at holding a line, great at getting compact. It's a very, like, I know, I know the um, the stereotype is to say, uh, oh, they're very organized defensively, right? Mm-hmm. But they really are. Like, gonna be, I think it's they're looking to be well organized. Yeah, so they, but they actually are well organized mm-hmm. in that they really hold a steady line. Yeah. So they, you know, they catch people offside and they stay nice and compact so they, they don't get stretched out. The back four 
Genuinely, he's well organized. Right. And where do they apply their trade, Daryl? I don't know. <laughs> Mostly in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, in midfield, uh-huh. um, there, there are a few variations in midfield, but my favorite one and the one I saw the most is a pairing of number 21, Valentina Chenoa, who is the regista. She hits beautiful passes, strikes a nice free kick, and plays for Juventus. And for those of us who aren't uh, fancy Europeans like you, uh, you're still European for now, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Till about October 31st. Uh, an abbreviated explanation of what a regista is? Regista is essentially a deep-lying playmaker. Mm-hmm. So you sit a little behind the rest of the midfielders and you spray passes around. Mm-hmm. Worth remembering what I said. She wears number 21 and she plays for Juventus. Yes. Can you think of another player who did that? I cannot. Andrea Perlo. I know. You knew. <laughs> Definitely seems to model her game on Andrea Perlo, wearing number 21 for Juve. So that's... Talisman Caps needs a, a hat for her. Valentina Chinoa. She is partnered, or I've seen her partnered, with number 23... Kind of my favorite. She's not one of my keepers, but she's kind of one of my favorites. Manuela Gigliano. Mm-hmm. Only 21. She's the runner. So they've got this pairing in central midfield. I'm talking about these partnerships. Mm-hmm. A regista, who, you know, doesn't have to do that much, essentially, yeah. except spray passes <laughs> around. And a runner, who, because it's only a two-woman central midfield, does all the running. She's buzzing around everywhere, making tackles, closing down, doing all the midfield work. I really like her energy. I think you'll like her as well. She's one of those sort of uh, smiley, thumbs up, encouraging mm. kind of players. So yeah, the partnership of Chenoa and uh, Giuliano is really, really important. All right, up yeah. top? Up top, it gets a little complicated. Okay. There are four strikers and it's not clear which two are Bertolini's favourites. Okay. Right? So, so is, this is, is this where the relationships break down a little? A little bit, okay. yeah, because it's not obvious that there's an obvious pairing. But I think a good, um, a good example of why it's all about being functional is the, the most consistently selected player is Ilaria Mauro. And she is very much... Um, She's more team-oriented than the rest, is what I've seen. As in, like, she runs hard, mm-hmm. holds the ball up, lays it off, isn't all about just, like, selfishly getting goals. Like, for example, the, uh, the top scorer in uh, Serie A last year was Valentina Giacinti, but she's not obviously selected all the time. So it seems to be that the favourite is Ilaria Maro because she's more functional, right? Okay. So this is a functional 4-4-2. Here's the big thing. The reason this works is there is one bit of magic in there that breaks out of the 4-4-2, and she's my first key player. Mm-hmm. Her name is Barbara Bonancia. Uh-huh. Or Bonancia, that's how mm-hmm. I'm going to pronounce it. Number 11. She is the key player. She yep. will most likely play left midfield, but she's right-footed. And what she does is from that left mid spot, she sort of starts to dribble in field on her right foot. She's very good at going past people, so she'll beat a couple of players. And then, quite often, with her right foot, she'll either hit a cross, like an in-swinging cross, which is really hard to deal with, or some sort of clever through ball for uh, a couple of the strikers, possibly Maurer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why she is so important to this team, because she's the one that almost breaks the shape mm-hmm. uh, by coming in field and making things happen. The other thing she does is if the ball goes out to the right and there's a cross coming in from the right-hand side... Uh, Bonancia will almost join the strikers in the box at the back post and then she's the target mm-hmm. that's why she scores a bunch of goals I re- she breaks the shape yeah. uh, and, and sort of makes Italy at least less predictable in this 4-4-2 that makes sense to yeah. me and that's what, what I saw in the little bit I saw of her yeah. uh, I wanted, wanted to emphasize one point you made that like she definitely will take people on and routinely gets past them yeah, yeah. But, I thought, me, right? but I thought that, that is literally the word I've written down yeah. uh, because it's not a lot of step overs it's not a lot of elaborate moves it's that she dribbles very quickly but keeps 
keeps the ball very close. She takes yeah. like like even though she's moving very quickly at a, at a sprint, she still keeps the ball very tightly controlled. So she can just do like a little touch and she gets by a defender, and a little touch and gets by another defender. But it also seeks it also works to like basically draw a lot of fouls mm-hmm. because I think defenders step expecting that ball to just be turned a little bit looser and they can step in and intervene and win that ball, intercept that ball, and instead they end up kind of clattering into her. So I, I see her going on a lot of slaloming runs that frequently end in shooting opportunities, but uh, equally frequently end in free kicks for Italy or for Juve. Yes, exactly, yes. So, yeah, that's why she's massively, massively important. Mm -hmm. Barbara Bonancia. Um, She's also, her left back is really experienced, um, Alia Guani. Um, She is, uh, what, she's 31, she has 60-odd caps. She knows when to stay home um, and when to go sort of fill the space that Bonancia has left, when to overlap with her. So that's another one of those excellent partnerships throughout this Italian national team. All right, there's a player that I'm desperate to talk about. Can we go back to your center back for a moment? Well, my other key player is okay. Sarah Gama. That's the one I want to talk about. Is that who you want to talk yes. about? She's the captain. Okay. Number three, 95 caps. Mm-hmm. Reads the game, also reads everything. She has a degree in foreign languages and literature from what? the University of Udine. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's one of the reasons Sarah Gama might be my favorite player on this team. Uh, that makes me... Like her more, but I still have one pressing concern that okay. I'm wondering how you feel about. Go for it. I watched a lot of her 1v1 defending. Yeah. And she does this technique that, like, it, it's, it's a thing she does routinely. I think I've already referenced a Cobra before, but, but I'm going to do it again. That in a lot of times when I saw her, like, say a Ford is dribbling at her, Gamma will kind of back off a little bit until it seems like that heavy touch has occurred. And then she steps really quickly and yes. kind of strikes. I, I do not see her go to ground very often. It uh-uh. feels like it's a it's a, a kind of not illegal, but like a two-footed poke tackle yes. is the way I'll explain it, that she like steps and wins it and yeah, pokes it away. Yeah, it's a little two-footed uh, jump to conclusions, Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that works a lot of the time, but when it doesn't, it really doesn't. But because of the way she's doing that tackle, if yeah. it doesn't, it almost always, if it doesn't work, it's a nutmeg. And that was what I saw. It's either she pokes the ball away and it looks really, really amazing and she looks so composed, yeah. or she gets megged and either gets beaten very badly or fouls the play. So I haven't seen her get beaten that often. With I, I watched her get megged four different times in Ooh, like 10 clips yeah. that's interesting to look out for then I didn't so I've watched full games instead mm-hmm. of clips of Gamma so yeah. I guess I just didn't get to see um, any of her getting nutmeg I mean and to be yeah. fair this was in, it, when I like sp- uh, specified the category to 1v1 defending. Yeah. So that might also be part of it is that maybe that's not the strongest part of her game that she can she can do that. Yeah. But probably, she probably, it's probably more indicative that well, she's the- a better like sliding over to like Daryl makes the initial contact, slows the attacker down, Gama comes in and steps and wins And that it's ball. not Daryl, it's number five, Elena Linari. Thank that's you. why this is the partnership. Linari goes okay. out and makes that high tackle. Okay. Gama's strength, Sarah Gama's strength mm-hmm. is just being a little deeper and reading the game. And this is what I saw from her. A lot of, she's like, almost predicting several seconds of ahead, sec, several seconds ahead by reading the game and knowing where the danger is going to be. So she's over there to like block a cross like after the fullback gets beaten um, or she's stepping out to block a shot after someone mm-hmm. gets beaten ahead of her or you know if there's a ball through she's on it. So that's why I think Sarah Gama is super super important. Now you got me worried about the nutmeg stuff because before <laughs> this I kind of thought she was unbeatable. All right. uh, yeah, but so Sarah Gama's my uh, defender to watch. I'm I'm here to bring your enthusiasm right back down to earth. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe let's let's talk about something else then because yeah. uh, I was not necessarily aware of the d- like depth and talent that Juve seem to have when it comes to their women's yeah. side. How is the Italian league uh, when it comes to the women's game? So the, one of the other reasons, mm-hmm. apart from the um, uh, basic but very functional 4-4-2 of Bertolini, um, is the investment in the, Serie, the women's Serie mm-hmm. And the investment has come 
from the obvious big teams, Juve, Milan, Roma, Fiorentina. Um, they've all sort of, you know, really upped it, put some money into it. I love that you threw Fiorentina in there. Well, here's why. Because there are eight Juve players on this mm-hmm. roster, six Milan players, three Roma players, three Fiorentina players. Oh, they I, are the most represented teams. That makes sense. Yeah. I just mean more so that you threw, when you listed the big Italian clubs, yeah, yeah. you went with Fiorentina, who well, were almost relegated this Inter season. Inter and Lazio are in Serie B. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the shape of it. Um, the uh, the Women's Serie A was formed in 1968, mm-hmm. but that, this big investment from Juve and co. hasn't come until very recently. Now, there's a 12-team Serie A, and obviously Juventus are one of the... Uh, the no. The, the, teams that, the team that wins a lot. I yeah. can't believe it. That's so, <laughs> that's so shocking. And uh, Gama, who I mentioned, mm-hmm. she also uh, is the captain of Juventus. She is indeed. She is, yeah. So there you go. That's the Italian women's national team, a team I genuinely knew nothing about two days ago. And now I feel super familiar with. I, as do I. So thank you for that, my uh, friend. Um, well previewed, uh, which I believe <laughs> takes us to Brazil. Yeah. Uh, and this is where I want to explain a little bit of how I go about uh, doing these previews. Oh, really? Uh, this yes. Is some behind the scenes. It, it is. It is because, as we've said, there is not a lot of content for some of these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like, for example, at time of recording, like the Guardian has been doing this sort of like supporter written ones, or the sort of yeah. like like what, no, what do no, they call it? Journalists from around the world. Thank you. So it's I, the uh, experts network. Experts Network. I yeah. couldn't remember what, what the exact terminology was. Yeah, but like, but I think, supporters in a way, because it would be like if we wrote the US Women's National Team preview, exactly. we'd obviously, we're sort of media and supporters, right? Yeah, hire, Cam- always are. hire Caitlin Murray to do that, not us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, but like at the time of recording, like that Brazil one isn't out. And not yeah. to say that that's like the end all be all of previews, but just to say that like, I looked, I looked to that one first and I was like, oh, that's not there. And then you sort of start doing some Googling and you're like, okay, there's like the U.S. soccer press release about Brazil before the She Believes Cup. That's uh-huh. not really helpful. There's not a lot out there. ESPN so, has some short previews yeah. they, they've put up. There's not massive detail there, but they do have one for every team. So the way that I go about doing it, all that was to say that, so the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is I go to Soccerway, which is one of my preferred sites for just kind of getting stats and lineups. Yeah. And I go back. you like having the full name of a player on the, uh, the, on the lineup. That I don't like, especially when it comes to Brazil. <laughs> yeah. Not so helpful. Um, but I try to like kind of pull up a bunch of their most recent games, usually starting with the ones that seem like they're the best indicators of what they'll do at a World Cup. So like yeah. stronger opposition or World Cup opposition. And I go back and look at kind of the formations, the players that have been in there. And that at least gives me when you kind of put it all together, uh, it gives you an idea of like, OK, this player starts pretty much every single game or this yeah. player's been starting. or Oh, she's played in a couple of different positions with Brazil. I went back and like six of their seven most recent games, they've gone with a 4-4-2. The personnel have all been pretty similar the difference being that they get used in a lot of different positions. Um, and so when you speak about Italy and kind of having the relationships that allow their 442 to work, when Brazil use their 442, they have a lot of the same players each and every game. But when the left midfielder is suddenly a right midfielder, but then is suddenly a right forward, but then is suddenly a left back, which has happened with one of the players we're going to talk about, it's tough to get those relationships going. And I think that's maybe a large part of why Brazil currently have lost nine straight games, what? have lost 10 of their last 11 games. Ooh. Yes, they are not in a good run of form. So that's what's confusing about this Brazil team is that they have some big name players. Obviously, Marta still in there. We've already talked about Formiga. We're going to talk about her again in a second. But yeah. they have this talent. And so to see those results and see how I think they haven't scored 
uh, more than one goal since April of 2018, he says off the top of his head, but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. They haven't scored multiple goals. You in have to go like to fbref.com s- to check it. You would indeed. I think they haven't scored multiple goals uh, in f- they have five goals in their last nine games. So again, it's like not even this free-scoring Brazil Ooh. attack. And I was trying to figure out what the issue is, and I think it all goes back to the kind of chopping and changing that seems to be happening happening because uh, manager Vidal, uh, who has had 29 jobs since 1991, he's on the move. Are they at least all soccer jobs? They are, uh, <laughs> okay. but he's this is his second stint as manager of the women's national team. He's managed one team like five or six times. Uh, he jumps around a little bit, but it seems like he is still kind of trying to rotate around and figure out the best way to get a lot of his attacking talent and well, his better players into the starting buddy. 11. <laughs> it ticking. certainly is. Uh, and it's probably something that he should have maybe figured out a little bit sooner instead yeah. of like Marta playing three different positions in the last five games. Yeah, uh, what is Marta's position? So it, it's evolved a little bit. Uh, yeah, we'll, I think of her as like a number 10, but I wouldn't know where to we'll, exactly put her in a 4 We'll jump to Marta then. Let's go there. Okay. Because Marta is one of the, the spotlight players I wanted to talk about. Uh, and she'll be a player that everybody sort of recognizes. Yeah. Like people even vote for her for Ballon d'Or when they don't know who else to vote for. Exactly. That's how famous Marta She's is. She's won it six times. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and has 15 World Cup goals right now, which I believe is the most of any active player. That's why I asked how many appearances she had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was on yesterday's show. That was an FB ref uh, uh, stat that I got. It, it was? She's the leading scorer. Okay, the there, we go. Yeah. there we go. But uh, yeah, today I was asking about appearances because uh, eventually we're going to get all of Marta's stats condensed via FBRF. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah, 110 goals uh, total for Brazil, Ooh. which makes you think that she is that sort of, oh, she's the striker. She's the one who's going to score the goals. I think that's been the case for her on occasion. I think she's happy to score goals, but I think she is, yeah, for, for Brazil, I think more comfortable being that number 10, being the playmaker, being the one who kind of provides and creates. Yeah. Uh, and so you'll see her do a lot of, like, certainly can score goals, but you'll see her doing a lot of, like, dribble, dribble, dribble to set up a square ball for someone to shoot at the top of the box or dribble, dribble, dribble to square for someone to shoot from 12 yards out or six yeah. yards out. Like She does a lot of pulling in defenders to open up space for her teammates. So what is a number 10 playing a 4-4-2? Like as the second striker? Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. She'll be up there. It's usually Marta. Again, uh, she has partnered... Uh, one, two, three, three, four, four players in the last like five or six games. My guess would be that it would be uh, Beatriz uh, with, with a Z on the end. Uh, maybe Gese, uh, G-E-Y-S-E. Uh, those are the two that she's played with most regularly, but okay. that would be my guess. And then I think it kind of allows Marta to drift around a little bit, link up with the midfield, drift wide to overload on one side. So it's not necessarily that she's just going to be kind of standing up top in a 4-4-2. I think she's going to be the one to kind of drop in so and support. Role, that right? would be my guess. So where is Marta in terms of the peak of her powers? Because I feel like she's been around forever, and I, like in my head, she's like fifty-five years old, but she's not actually because she started playing very young. Ah, uh, I do not have her age written down. I want to say it was thirty-three. I believe okay. is about where she is. I, I think that's correct because I remember her being eight years younger than Formiga. Um, so I would say, like, if you look at her statistical output, it is dipping down a little bit from season to season, but not that much. What's up? I'm laughing because I googled Marta and I got the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. <laughs> That's it. That's what we wanted. Marta's established some subway uh, soccer fields that we've played on. It, sa- it says there's a field at five points. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think she is not necessarily in her like like primary threat, like unplayable Marta level, but she is still – there are plenty of clips of her – absolutely doing defenders in the NWSL <laughs> and just making people fall over and Recently, scoring for yes, scoring yeah. like near post goals from like one foot away that have okay. no business going in but finding your way through. All right, so Marta still got it. She, she does. Th- she is 33, by the way. I just checked. There you go. Yeah. But she is one who I think defenses... No, no delays uh, in the Atlanta system right now. Perfect. I think she is one, though, who, uh, similar to Sam Kerr, who defenses will probably focus on a bit too much. But I think whereas with Australia, there are the kind of patterns and relationships in place 
to exploit that for Australia. I yeah. think with Brazil, because there's a little bit of unfamiliarity and changing so much, I don't know if they will be as adept at sort of handling Marta being double teamed. Theoretically, that means somebody's at Marta, there's space for somebody else, but I don't know if they have kind of the structure in place to exploit that. Okay, so who else have they got? Who they've else have they got beyond Marta? They've got Formiga. Okay, let's she, Formiga. She's one I definitely want to talk about. She's yeah. 40, 41 years old, central midfielder for PSG. Go on, Formiga. 23 goals, 160 caps. She's been around. She's the captain of PSG. And the thing that stood out to me about Formiga in watching, like, I watched way more highlights of her than I expected because she's just really fun to watch because she does everything. What does that mean? Like, literally everything. She will score goals. She will win headers. She will win defensive headers. She will control the ball and slow it down when Brazil are kind of like in a little bit of frenetic moments. She will like put her foot on the ball and calm it down. She can also split the lines and play long balls over the top if the situation requires it. it. The one, the thing that I kept being fascinated by, this is a reference that probably some people will know. You will not because I doubt you watch cops. But have you ever seen like the video of this slightly, it's like an aerial shot of the slightly chubby police officer who just comes out of nowhere and chases down. A, it's, like a foot, it's like a foot race. The suspect is outrunning all of these cops. And then this one dude just comes hurtling in, passes everybody and takes out the uh, guy. No, the, me, me and Sarah Gama are reading books okay. while, while you're watching cops. And learning languages. That is for me. The closing speed is insane. Like she, she could, speed. she can track down at a forty-one. Criminal. Yes, it, but but the other thing that's amazing. She did one with Will Smith at the opening of Men in Black. Yes, there we go. That's a better one. She read. <laughs> tracked she down tracked on a cephalopod. There we uh, go. On um, foot. Yes, but then, but see, whereas I think that ends either with a violent demise for the cephalopod, or there's a, like a physical altercation uh. that doesn't happen with Formiga <laughs> because she has this like closing speed, and you can see her almost like. I keep, there's a lot of references here. That's yeah. how excited I am. But it's like the Terminator thing. Of like You can see her like evaluating vulnerability. I mean, like, there it is. And just like pokes the ball away and then gets it on the other side and turns around and goes the other way. Like You don't see her go flying into tackles and like knocking a defender over and conceding free kicks. It's a lot of running, 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 closing the gap, closing the gap, closing the gap, and then now I'm going to poke the ball away. So what position does she play? She'll be, she'll be a central midfielder. She, okay, she I guess is, players who can do it all play central midfielder. The yeah. kind of consistent ones for Brazil have been uh, Monica and Erica. Those are the two center backs. They play together every single game, okay. uh, as well as Leticia Santos. She's a relatively new one. I think 19 cap. She's like 25 or 26. But she's been uh, their right back. Those three have kind of started every one of their most recent games. Okay, just so some consistency. And then Formiga and I believe Isa, uh, I-S-A, have started regularly together in the middle. That's where Formiga will be. Okay. Um, I'm excited to see Formiga now. And, and the last thing, I'm not done. Because the other <laughs> thing is that she, when you do see her go to ground, it's because... Again, I, I kept watching, like, how is she doing this? But she'll do this thing where she closes down the person, she'll start challenging for the ball, and if there's a foul conceded, it's usually on Formiga. As in, she's like, she has kind of won that ball, and the attacker will nudge a little bit too hard, and then Formiga goes flying, and then there's a free kick. So it's just. Is she better than Marta? Uh, is no. it like Marta just? No, I, okay. I, I, can't, I can't go that far. I okay. mean, she she can definitely get forward and score goals and do attacking things, but Marta is Marta, and I okay. refuse to speak ill of Marta. <laughs> um, the last player that I do want to spotlight uh, is one who have we got three key players with Brazil here? Uh, kind of. Yeah, it's okay. I'm I into it. have to it. talk about Marta, but the one that I really wanted to spotlight is a player named uh, Andresa Alves. Okay, yeah, I want some highlights. You sent me some highlights, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Left footed winger. Uh, she's a right winger for Barcelona. For Brazil, she's a left midfielder, left center midfielder, right center midfielder, right midfielder, and left back. Because of the problem. Yes, and occasionally uh, subs in at left forward as well. <laughs> um, and, her, na- her name again? Uh, her name is Andresa Alves. Uh, and 
when we watched the footage, I was really happy to hear you say what you said because I had her written down as – we always go with Tobin Heath for some reason. She's a combination of Tobin Heath and – Oh, Ronaldinho. Yes. Or Ronaldinho, yes. as they say. And I'm, and I'm really happy you said it because I, I didn't really love that the only way I can explain it was like she has like a little bit of like a dance move to what, the way she does moves. Yeah, But yeah. it's this little bit like – if you remember Ronaldo, like there's a lot of shoulder – Ronaldinho, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dino has like, like the kind of shoulders that go with everything he does and it's like kind of like – like hips stay kind of firmly in place, but shoulders move, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what I think of. And then kind of like arms out, and there's a lot of like sudden chops, and then he's away. Mm-hmm. That is Andresa Alves. She has that like kind of like flamenco dribble to it, where she can cut and go, but then cut back and do a step over and get a, a little bit of distance. Over that too, as well. Like, yeah. the sole of her foot on yep. the top of the ball. A lot yeah. of that going on. That's what made me think of Ronaldinho more than anything. Yes, and the fact she's wearing number ten playing for Barcelona. Yeah. and cutting inside from the wing. Yes, yeah. and so like like you want to see her doing those things because if you watch the United States uh, beat Brazil 1-0 in the She Believes Cup and you don't remember Andresa Alves doing those things, it's because she was the left back in that game. Ah. So like, and I think that's maybe like... I mean, we played Tobin Heath left back, so... We did. Uh, There you go. (laughs) They're mirror images of each other. Um, But it's just like, so here's this person who plays for Barcelona in a very attacking position, sometimes comes inside for this very talented Barcelona team and like plays almost as a central midfielder for them. But for Brazil, she's kind of all over the place and therefore I think not put in the best possible position to succeed. That said, I do still think Brazil make it out of this group because they just have so many players with like veteran know-how and experience and ability still. Yeah, I'm, what I'm hearing there is there's a massive contrast between Brazil and Italy. Yes. Like Italy, I mean, they're talented players, but they're not like the best women's players mm-hmm. in the world. And But they're well organized and they're functional. Everybody knows their role. Mm-hmm. Whereas Brazil, it seems like there's still a loaded... What you described for me, mm-hmm. it seems like that team should be unbeatable. Yeah. <laughs> and the, like Marta and the skills of um, Andresa Alves, it sounds like that team should be unstoppable and yet they're so um, all over the place that yeah. no one knows if they're even going to get out of the group. Yeah. Like, I, how have they lost their last nine games? It, it's, it's genuinely surprising. Uh, and it's especially surprising because, as I said, the two center backs of the two midfielders have been playing together yeah, in these spine, games. right? That should work. And that's what you'd expect. Because I think the idea is like you kind of have those four to block the middle, you attack down the wings, you've got Marta floating, that should be enough, and it just has not been lately. So whereas I'm inclined to say like, yeah, but they've got the stability and that should see them through, it has not seen them through lately. Um, Final note on Brazil before we move on. Uh, Just just to note, they do have uh, the Brazilian Women's League. Uh, It is Campeonato Brasileiro de Futebol Femenino, uh, founded in 2013. No one has won it twice because it's still relatively new. Uh, But Monica and Erica, the two starting center backs who I already mentioned, uh, both play for Corinthians. So they have the kind of match day experience together. But then also the uh, national team experience. Oh, so as they're, well. a, they're a long-standing partnership. They are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for Brazil, it's more so. I was trying to find like the best Brazil men's squad to represent this, and I think it's probably like mid '90s, early 2000s. But this Brazil team has 23 players playing in eight different countries. All right. So you've got them kind of spread all over the world, as opposed to kind of focused in one or two different leagues. That makes sense. That makes Which sense. Which maybe also explains why they look like uh, disparate players brought together to play for one <laughs> national team. Would you remind me the coach's name? Uh, one more uh, Vadao, V-A-D-A-O. It's a guy? Yeah, it is indeed. Okay. He uh, is a fella. 
He is a fella. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so there we go. Australia, Italy, Brazil. There's still Jamaica to come. Yeah, there is. Uh, but first, today's show is sponsored by our friends at Roughneck Scarves. Mm-hmm. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf providers of U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer, the USL, and the NCAA. And obviously, they have a whole bunch of international scarves. Yes, they do. Uh, so if these World Cup previews have gotten you excited about any of the national teams aside from the U.S. women, uh-huh. even the U.S. women, they've got those scarves too. They've got a, a huge collection. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, right? They have a huge collection of U.S. women's national team scarves. They even have some with uh, players' names on it. So if you want like a Rapino scarf or an mm-hmm. Ert scarf or a Morgan scarf, uh, whomever your favorite player is, uh, there's all kinds of scarves at roughneckscarves.com for U.S. women's national team. Fans. They don't yet have a Rose Lavelle scarf, but here's my workaround. You buy a USA scarf and you just spray paint Lavelle on it. You're good to go. <laughs> what more do you need? Pin some roses to it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, there you there. go. <laughs> Um, also, there's the Total Soccer Show scarf, also that. which is available at roughneckscarves.com. It's the hello and welcome Total Soccer Show scarf. I think in Australia there's a good day and welcome Total Soccer Show scarf. Um, I just want to say thanks to our friends at Moonshot Brewing in Washington mm-hmm. State. I don't know the city, but Moonshot Brewing, somewhere in the state of Washington, they've hung our Total Soccer Show scarf over the bar. So when customers come to the bar, it says... Hello and welcome, which is a pretty nice way to welcome people to your bar. It is, and I'm, I don't know if they did this I'm, on purpose. I'm going to find where, I'm going to Google them now and find what city they're It's in Moonshot, Washington. <laughs> uh, I, but I also appreciate that they've hung it in such a way that it says hello and welcome, but then the, like, the tail ends still hang over so you can see the Total Soccer Show logo. Yes. So you still know what it is, and I appreciate that too. I'm all, I'm all about you know, getting the advertising out there. <laughs> yes, yeah, brand awareness for us. Yeah. Right? Uh, Kennewick, Washington. Yeah, Moonshot, Kennewick, like I said. Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Uh, yeah, so you can get the Total Soccer Show scarf. You can get uh, many, many different uh, national team scarves. U.S. women, very well represented. And then NCAA, MLS, USL, all of them available at Roughneck Scarves. You know what else you can get? What else can you 20% get? 20% off. How do you do that? At roughneckscarves.com. The devil you say. If you use the discount code Total Soccer Show, or one word, Total Soccer Show, mm-hmm. you'll get 20% off your order at roughneckscarves.com. There we are. Thank you to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode. Let's talk Jamaica. Okay, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Jamaica is nicknamed the Reggae Girls. Mm -hmm. Kind of obviously, right? But it's kind of a good name. With a Z. With a Z. Yes, you are correct. But they should be America's second favorite team. (laughs) That should be the nickname. Um, Not only do they have lots of U.S. connections, Mm -hmm. which I will list exhaustively for you in just a moment, they're also a bit of a fairy tale story. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, America loves to get behind, uh, you know, almost like a cool runnings kind of (laughs) against all odds kind of team. Because this is... They all started out as bobsledders, right? The entire national team. They... Converted bobsled team. This isn't against all odds kind of team. Mm -hmm. This is their first ever World Cup. They're the first team from the Caribbean to qualify for the Women's World Cup. It's Jamaica's first time at the Women's World Cup. Here's part of the problem. A bit like in Australia, it's the Federation. Yeah. Jamaican Football Federation um, has twice disbanded the team. So what they essentially do is they would set up the team to try and qualify for the World Cup. Then when that didn't work, they'd just be like, all right, no more for a few years. Then they'd put the team back together like for a World Cup run. Mm-hmm. And then when that doesn't work, oh, we didn't qualify for 2015? All right, close the whole thing down, right? That is not the way to grow a program. No, obviously. It's not. I, I can't believe how angry this is making me. Like, again, doing this, doing this research more and more, it's just so frustrating that, like, these organizations exist to spread the game, to yep. help more people play it, and while helping people play soccer, to, like, fur- further, like, humanitarian efforts. Uh-huh. And instead, you definitely get that vibe of... Yes, but I'd rather spend more money on suits and like building mm. high tech state of the art facilities for the eight reason, people to the use. The reason they gave was we want to put more money into the men's team. Perfect. So just close the entire women's team down. Awesome. But amidst that like that horrible backdrop, 
there was a hero. Okay. There's, a, there's actually a hero and a heroine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hero is Hugh Menzies. So here's why he's my favorite. Born in England, okay. in Brixton. Uh, he's also Jamaican-American. So he's English, Jamaican, and American. I like those two parts of him. Hugh Menzies kept the dream alive. So he knew when the team was you know, shut down, he knew that the Jamaican Federation would be coming back around and saying, oh, could you put a team back together, please? Uh, when the 2019 mm-hmm. Women's World Cup qualification period came around. What he did is he used his connections in Florida, where he runs an ECNL team, uh, the Florida Craze Crush. So he's like, well-connected in Florida, got 30 years coaching experience. He's the executive director of the Craze Crush in ECNL. And then he's obviously got lots of different Florida connections. He used those connections to get all the talented young Jamaican players sort of placed with, you know, good high school programs or good college programs and also use some connections to get players all around the world. And so when you look at this roster, this Jamaican roster, it has it actually has two um, American players who mm-hmm. were uh, Jamaican-American and were able to play for the Jamaican national team. It has a load of players who are either in college in the U.S. or have been in college in the U.S., and just by coincidence, a lot of them seem to have played in Florida huh. because of Hugh Menzies' connections. Even the famous, the famous Bunny Shaw, who yeah. obviously we'll talk about because she is the absolute star striker on this team that I think everybody will already know about, right? Mm-hmm. Khadija Shaw, Bunny Shaw. Famously, she played for the University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But before she was at the University of Tennessee, she was at a small college in Florida, right? She did a couple of years there first. I assume because of those Hugh Menzies' connections, yeah. right? So he has really kept this, kept this going. Because even if it's not like his... Like connections directly, it's still bringing people there to allow them to play, to find them clubs to play for, or high school teams to play for. Yes. That then connects them to scouting networks and people who will come yes. out and see them it's and like think, yeah, we in. should sign this person. Yeah, and these players are obviously still talented. Yeah. He can't just, he hasn't got influence where he can be like, you must sign this player even yeah, though he's no good. These are talented players that he managed to introduce to colleges and, and things like that. Okay, he's the hero. Um, he also did this unpaid for a few years. He's mm. managing to get paid right now when they put the team back together. Um, the other hero is. Or the heroine is Bob Marley's daughter. Okay. Sadella Marley. Because when the Jamaican Federation wasn't funding the team, uh, she went through the Bob Marley Foundation, which she runs. She also lives in America. So she, I think mm-hmm. she's Jamaican-American as well. So another U.S. connection. And essentially funded the program herself through the Bob Marley Foundation. So a lot of the money for this has come from Sadella Marley. I always forget Bob Marley liked him some soccer. He did. He said it. She said it was like kind of in honor of her father's love for soccer. That's why I want to. I want to make this happen. And the Bob Marley Foundation is also like a you know philanthropic humanitarian mm-hmm. kind of thing. So to what you mentioned earlier, she sees this as a way of you know like opportunities for women because yeah. now you can have a proper soccer career. What it's supposed to be. What yeah. it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, the two Americans I want to mention: Nicole yeah. McClure. Um, she's uh, one of the goalkeepers, born in Jamaica, New York. Okay. Have you ever been to Jamaica, New York? No. I've been there once because you get the uh, you can get the uh, subway from there oh. to one of the airports. Oh, Jamaica Queens. Jama- yeah, 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 yeah. Jamaica okay, Queens. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is the best named mm. town. I th- oh, I thought that was like I was thinking like small town in upstate New York. That's like Jamaica, New York. No. <laughs> okay. But there's loads of Jamaican people. How you have well. like Lebanon, it's- Kentucky, or yes, something like but that. But like okay. you go to Lebanon, gotcha. Kentucky, there's not a load of Lebanese people, right? I mean, there should be. Jamaica, New York. There's actually a load of Jamaican I think people. There's Baghdad, Kentucky, too. But okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so that's where she's from. She's from there, and so she, you know, is to play the Jamaican national team. Um, Havana Salon, who's going to be one of my, my uh, mm-hmm. key players we'll talk about later, um, she filed a one-time switch because she has some Jamaican heritage um, after playing for the U.S. up to the under-23 level. So a lot of American connections, right, including the coach yeah. and these two players and a bunch of players that have played college soccer in the United States, either presently or previously. Uh, one question that you may not know the Currently answer to. Currently or previously, excuse me. I know what you meant. Uh, one question you I may not know the answer. I don't really want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, is, where is Jody Brown in that? Because Jody Brown is the, what, 17-year-old? 
old attacker yeah. uh, who's playing in Florida for like a high school academy team. Yeah. But I, I, I guess the question I have is like, is she, from what you understand, is she born in the United States? But I know she's played for Jamaica like oh, her entire know. youth career. Uh, so I'm not sure if she's another one who maybe came over to the U.S. to get more experience or if she is maybe born to Jamaican parents and has only ever played for Jamaica. I'll look this up for you quickly. While All I right. do, though, um, mm-hmm. I will let you know, when I heard about Jodie Brown, mm-hmm. 17, I, I didn't like do the math in my head. I looked up and I was like, Montverde Academy? Yeah. I've never heard of that college. Yeah. It's because it's a high school. It's a high school. It's a private high school that she goes and to. And her high school career has not stopped her from scoring goals. She has eight goals already for Jamaica in 12 appearances, which is why uh, I know you wanted to talk about her. I wanted to talk about her on the Top Door Soccer Show. Yeah. The issue is that there's just not a lot of footage of her, no. so it makes it hard. That's why, again, it, it wasn't just a matter of, like, I didn't think Daryl had, like, looked up. Uh, where she had played or where she was born. It's just that uh, by the there's way, I not... Can't, I can't yeah. find out. I don't know where she was There's just not much information about yeah. her. It makes it hard to really know All we know much. is she's a 17-year-old mm-hmm. in high school, and yet she scored eight goals in 12 games yeah. for the Jamaican women's national team, including Decent. one of the goals in the 2-2 draw with Panama in the third-place playoff in the CONCACAF Championship that they eventually won on penalties. Uh, that's the only goal I could find. There we uh, go. Uh, that got Jamaica qualified for the World Cup. It's a pretty big one, though. Yeah. It counts. So, big deal from Jodie Brown. She probably won't start, mm-hmm. honestly, because she's only 17. Yeah. But keep an eye out for her because you might see her coming off the bench. Now, I'm assuming Bunny Shaw will start, provided her, the injury, it seems like she may be picked up this week. Oh, isn't I too severe. Yeah, against Scotland, right? But I, I'm guessing that even if it's like. Short of an amputation, I'm guessing she's going to find a way to play in the World Cup. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the, the mm-hmm. way that Jamaica play under Hugh Menzies. Mm-hmm. It is a 4-2-3-1, which is the most popular formation mm-hmm. in the Women's World Cup 2019, right? 4-2-3-1. The most interesting thing about it, though, is there's like the front four, so the three and the one, have a really smart sort of pressing system. Which is, it's not like all-out press all the time because that leaves you exposed. But they definitely form almost like a front four, mm-hmm. like a blockade maybe like uh, 20 yards over the halfway line. They're an island nation. And then when they decide to press, they do it hard, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason that's really important is because one of their best ways of attacking is to win the ball back. And then Khadija Bunny Shaw is in on goal. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we press, we win the ball back, and then Bunny Shaw has the ball and you're in trouble. And that would do it, yeah, because if she has the ball, you are in trouble. Uh, the notes I have in front of me are 29 goals for Bunny Shaw in not that many games. I've got, I've got 28 in 21. There we go. It's still pretty good. <laughs> still pretty good. So the sort of Wait, the, where, uh, did, where did you get your goals from? Where did I get my goals from? Did I don't have them, any goals. Did you get them from FBRF? Your stats? No. Okay. Because if you did, then we're going to count those. <laughs> those supersede my numbers. <laughs> so just so you know a little bit about mm-hmm. this, this front four, we'll, I'm going to talk about Khadija Shaw's game sure. in a minute because I think that's really important. Trudy Carter on the left, Shayna Matthews on the right, um, and then it will be Havana Solana as like the, the number 10. Mm-hmm. She'll wear number six. And then Khadija Shaw as the central striker. That's the pressing four. That's the, that's the group that's going to win the ball back off you. They all work really hard, and it looks really, really disciplined. Hugh Menzies has done some great work in terms of giving shape uh, to this team. And then they have two defensive midfielders sitting underneath them, Marlo Swetman and Chantel Swaby. And I just love the idea of Swetman and Swaby are your <laughs> defensive midfielders. It sounds kind of like a law firm or something, right? <laughs> I mean, sort like, of. It sounds like a definite partnership, Swetman and Swaby. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I might, I might go Swabby and Swapman. I might, I might flip that, flip that one around a little bit. Yes, I, I might do. All right, so let's talk about Khadija Shaw, okay. nicknamed Bunny Shaw. Mm-hmm. 22 years old. She just graduated from the University of Tennessee. She spent the final two years of her college career there. She's kind of a free agent. I think mm-hmm. I heard on the Top Draw Soccer Show that Travis had spoken to one of her coaches and then that she's probably going somewhere in France to turn professional. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so 
I don't I don't know where that is. Yeah. Uh, but I do know I, that she's going to yeah. be a big deal because I think she was she was eligible to be drafted this coming draft. I think she she was one of the ones who like had one semester more of eligibility, so she wasn't she didn't want to like leave early to be eligible for this past draft. Yeah, but I think she also maybe isn't isn't as interested in that as she is in getting a, a contract to go play in Europe. That yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, right now, right, she's a college graduate who's about to spend her summer in Europe. As yes, well. yeah. so and she's got that going. The for implication her. I got is that she'll be going to one of four French teams. Got it. Um, okay, let's talk about her game. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing to note about Khadija Shaw is she's the same height as Abby Wambach. That's Khadija Shaw not surprising. is 5'11". If yep. you remember how many headers Abby Wambach won, how many mm-hmm. headers Abby Wambach scored, Khadija Shaw looks equally capable to me of scoring that level of header, mm-hmm. right? She is great in the air. She has a really powerful header and she's just she wins most of the headers, yeah. right? Really, really dangerous in the air. Also can run at you. Seems to be um, relatively two-footed. Like she doesn't really favor one foot or the other, which makes her terrifying when she runs at you because she can, she can basically go either way. Yes, and I would add that like we've been following Khadija Shaw since a f- it's been a few years now because with Top Drawer we've been covering yeah. the w- women's game uh, like when it comes to the yeah. college, college she's a big, cup. She was a big deal in college soccer, right? She yeah. is, but the University of Tennessee, no disrespect, is is not like they're not one of those perennial powerhouse. It's not Stanford. It's yeah. not UCLA. It's not UNC. And and I say that to say though that like I remember watching her and I remember being impressed by sometimes Katie Cousins would would give her great service and it would be like right on her head and it's a perfect header, but it was also a lot of sort of erratic service that Bunny Shaw had to adjust to and it wasn't always this like playing with people who are definitely going to be blue chip stars are going to yeah, get yeah, drafted yeah. by NWSL teams are going to play for the U.S. Women's National Team or for England or for Scotland or whatever sure, yeah, yeah. it was people who maybe don't have that much longer of a career and so that she's still able to thrive in that environment and find ways to. Score mm-hmm. makes it all the more impressive. Find ways to score, I think, is the key thing as yep. well. Because what I've seen a lot from her is she's very good at like taking one or two touches to make a little bit of space and then get the shot away. Yeah. It seems like whenever she has the ball, not that she's selfish, but whenever she has the ball, she seems always capable of turning that into a shooting situation. Reminds me a little bit of Harry Kane. You know, we always talk about that with Harry Kane. He can sort of touch, touch, a little bit of space, and then he's bang in the bottom corner. I think Khadija Shaw has that same skill. It's not selfish if you score. I, think, not, I, right, I yeah, honestly think that's how it, how it works, is that if, yeah. like with Harry Kane, I don't think I would ever – it has never crossed my mind to call him selfish. Yeah. There are other English strikers who are younger and faster, but maybe not as good at scoring regularly, who I would say are a little bit more selfish. Mm. Oh, Max Rashford. Exactly. <laughs> um, but Harry Kane, I've never thought that because yeah. he does find a way to score so often. Khadija Shaw the same. If yeah. she's turning and scoring, maybe you were open, but maybe you weren't going to score and she yeah. was. Maybe you don't have the shot that she has. Yeah, yeah, turning, I think, is the important part. I've mm-hmm. seen her back to goal, couple of touches. Yeah. She's managed to turn 180 degrees, so she's facing goal, or almost facing goal, because she doesn't have to face all the way, but also throw off a defender and open a bit of space in that meantime, and bang, there's a goal. Yep. That's why she has, I think, 28 goals in 21 appearances for the Jamaican women's national team. I said 29 before, but knowing her, I'm just she is 31 now. <laughs> <laughs> she's just scored another yeah, while, probably. while we were waiting. She's 32 now. Yeah. So... I, I also think from watching this Jamaica team, it's not just like she's the best player and everyone else is mm-hmm. like kind of scrubs. I mean, we're talking about people who've played Division One college soccer or play in Norway or play here or there. You know what I mean? These are proper players. The, yeah, I do know what you mean. And and I want to like double down on that for a moment because Jamaica, as you said, the first time they've qualified, they like managed to get passed on penalties. 
And so that gives you this idea that, like, and, like, historically when you look at CONCACAF on, like, the men's side, you look at Jamaica and it's like, oh, they've got, like, some people playing in USL Championship and a couple in Major League Soccer, but they're not actually playing. And I think I kind of expected that from this roster. And you look, I mean, you mentioned Roma earlier as a team that are spending money in Italy. They have two players who play for Roma on this roster. And so you you do have... Plays in Norway as well, which is, you know, a decent place to play soccer. Exactly. You've got a lot of college players on here. It, It feels like it could be. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they even make it out of the group. But it feels like a team that could definitely surprise one of the teams, Brazil, that we've been talking about. <laughs> like, maybe they just spring a goal when you don't see it coming, is I guess what I'm getting at. I'm not saying they're going to win every game. I'm not saying they're even going to win one game. But it's not quite as easy. They're not quite as easy to dismiss as I thought the third-place CONCACAF team yes. would be. Well, we kind of dismissed South Africa yesterday, mm-hmm. right, as, yeah. the, as the fourth team in Group B, and I, I still think it's kind of yeah. accurate to think they're not going to do well. I think Jamaica could do really well. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Maybe doesn't even mean get in the group, but they'll be competitive in every single yeah. game. All right, my second key player. What you got? Um, remember I mentioned they play this 4-2-3-1. They have really good shape, and, and then they go and press, and like a 4-2-4. Bunny Shaw has 33 goals now. Is that right? She just keeps, keeps <laughs> yes. banging him in. Yes. Um, one of the keys to that is Havana... Salon. Mm-hmm. Havana Salon, number six. Cuban-American father, Jamaican mother. Um, grew up in the United States, played for Florida, Division One, right? Played for Seattle Reign, played for Washington Spirit. Now plays for Klepp in Norway. So um, that's a solid playing career, right? It is. Um, she did a one-time switch after playing up to the U23s for the U.S. Women's National Team. She now plays for Jamaica. This is kind of like a, a recent uh, mm-hmm. one-time switch that they've added to the roster. And oh, she, is, is that why she has so few caps? Yes. Okay. She's only recently switched. She is an excellent number 10, especially for their system. Okay. Because uh, not only is she creative, loves a nutmeg, loves a sort of uh, outside of the foot, three touches, 180 degree turn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. she, lo- nice creativity about her. But she also is useful in the press. And the thing I would point people to is, do you remember there was the uh, Scotland-Jamaica game? I think Scotland won 3-2. Um, earlier this week Khadija Shaw scored Future two goals Future World Cup semi-final of Scotland thank yeah, you we'll talk more about this later mm-hmm. <laughs> Khadija Shaw scored two goals right? Yeah. Um, the first goal which you'll find in the 15th minute I would recommend going and finding it is a press from Havana Salan causing trouble for Scottish defenders taking the ball off them with not one but two tackles to eventually pop that ball loose and get it to Khadija Shaw and then Khadija Shaw like fakes a shot as she does cuts opens up space bang 1-0 Jamaica that'll do yeah. it so that's why Havana Salon I think is going to be really important because her press is going to lead to chances for Bunny Shaw mm-hmm. yeah 34 goals now <laughs> <laughs> with an assist uh, from Salon exactly her name one more time <laughs> Havana Salon easy to remember to yeah. go with the Cuban American father number yes. 6 if that makes okay. it easier and uh, Bunny Shaw by the way will wear number 11 okay. so you can keep an eye on Bunny Shaw number 11 uh, the only other player I just want to quickly mention I don't know a lot about her but Konya Plummer number 5 is only 21 years old she's still playing for the University of Central Florida I think because she probably has one more year till she graduates right she's the captain mm-hmm. and centre back mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 21 year old captain that means she has to be an impressive person to be the 21 year old captain of a national team I would say so Fair? yeah yeah for, for whatever reason, she, she's in there and she's impressive and she's yep. leading. Yeah. So there you go. America's second favorite team is Jamaica. <laughs> I mean, I, you've said it. I guess I can't disagree. There we are. So is that Group C previewed? I'm pretty sure, right? Okay. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Oh, except, you know, we normally talk about uh, domestic league. Yes. There is no Jamaican women's domestic league. Okay. Yeah. That, Which that, has weirdly become a positive because of what Hugh Menzies has done in response. 
Okay. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Yeah, but that also probably explains why you do have a couple unattached players and you've got a lot of college players on this on this yeah. roster because if you can't go pro, if you can't stay in your domestic league, yeah. you probably look to like get that scholarship and go play D- some D1 uh, soccer. That makes sense Technically, Bunny Shaw's unattached, right? Because she just graduated. This is true. Uh, but it doesn't mean no one wants her. This is very true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there we go. Group C previewed. Uh, we'll be back with what? Group D probably on Monday. That checks out. We'll be back on Saturday with the Champions League final we review. We haven't done a big preview. It would have been hard to preview as well because we don't know the Harry Kane situation, Mm-mm. do we? Is he injured? Is he fit? Does he play? Does he not? Um, but yeah, the fun is, what, 3pm um, here in the US uh, on TNT, Champions League final, Liverpool Spurs. We'll be here in the studio to watch it mm-hmm. and then we'll be reviewing it straight after. Yes. I am I'm not... I'm not opposed to doing like a quick take one and then maybe doing a full review later on, but somewhere or the other we'll have some content out this weekend about the Champions League <laughs> there final. There we go. That yeah. sounds good to me. All right. The other thing we will do before then is talk some scouting. Does that oh, work you for you, to? my friend? Okay, yeah. I would like to because <laughs> uh, we've got uh, several reports to get to, starting with one that is peripherally related to Liverpool uh, from Ryan LaRose scouting Rafael Camacho, 19-year-old Portuguese midfielder for Liverpool. This is our shots, Champions League preview. Shots fired at Rafael Camacho. <laughs> I mean, peripherally related. Despite being uh, on the first team roster all season, Rafael Camacho was not included in Liverpool's 26-man training camp in Marbella uh, leading up to the Champions League final. Reports are that Liverpool have set a £10 million asking price on Camacho after he turned down a new contract. See, it's justified. I'm not just mean. <laughs> 34 goals for Bunny Shaw. Michael Lowe is scouting Omir Fernandez, the 20-year-old American attacker for the New York Red Bulls. 35 now. Fernandez has played a variety of positions so far this season, including right winger, centre forward, and centre attacking mid. He also nabbed his first goal for New York when he came on as a sub against FC Cincinnati and scored a diving header off a low cross in the 91st minute. I saw this; it was good. You know who else does those? Sam Olivier Kerr. Giroud. Sam oh. Kerr. <laughs> Sam Kerr is the the queen of a low diving header. Yeah, I love them so much. <laughs> I just don't understand how she can be like perfect at low diving headers, but then still, I, I can't get over the pop up header. The pop up header from 12 yards out that just gets flicked. Describe on. the pop up header. It's like imagine a cross coming in. Uh, that's like with a, a decent rate of speed behind it. She kind of does this thing where, like, say it's coming it's from it's, Ellie Carpenter. From it's the like, right. yeah, okay. So it's okay, say it's coming from Ellie Carpenter from the right. Yeah. Fine. And it's but it's sort of like the type of cross that maybe is going to go out for a throw in if nobody gets to it, but maybe it's going to go out for a corner kick. Like okay. it's kind of got like that angle to it. So just a, like a little bit of a deflection, a little bit of a redirect will put it on frame. That's what I'm talking about. So imagine that cross is coming from maybe 30 yards from the end line, aimed at the penalty spot, and if Sam Kerr is there, it's just this little like like redirected flick on header that drops into the goal over I the keeper see. who kind of like jumps out. I, I saw her do that like five times. And it's just, again, it's the awareness of where she is in relation to the goal and where that ball needs to be and then the ability to just get a little bit of a flick to make that happen exactly. Got it. Sam Kerr's good. There we go. So that's yes. our Group C preview officially finished. There we are. Back to I got scouting. excited about Sam Kerr one more time. <laughs> uh, Mark Spicer is scouting Mikhail uh, Cousins. I have no idea how to pronounce that one because it's French. 19-year-old French midfielder <laughs> for Bruzy and Munchen Gladbach. Mikhail uh, provided a goal and assist in France's 2-0 defeat of Panama uh, in their second U-20 World Cup match for the goal. Uh, Mikhail intercepted a bad pass from a a Panamanian defender, drove to the goal, laid a pass off to a teammate, made a run towards the center of the goal, received the return pass, and scored an easy tap-in. He then opened the scoring for France in their final group stage game against Mali, which finished as a 3-2 win, which means that it will be the U.S. playing France on Tuesday in the knockout round. Yep. Sai. So, or yeah. since it's France, Le Sai. Le Sai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what, 11.30 Eastern kickoff. It'll be on Fox Sports 1 or 2. I think we're going to have to watch that and review it. 
Because that's a big game for the yeah. US under-20s, right? Uh, yes, yeah. I love Cats. With Durkin suspended, Mendes suspended, but maybe uh, Ledesma's in. Maybe Yusis Yanez is in instead of Del Fuente. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for that game. You're already. far more hopeful than Travis and I were on the I Top Draw Soccer show today. I could have guessed Travis <laughs> would be down. Yeah. Well, no, more more so kind of what we wanted to see did not necessarily coincide with what we thought we would see from Tab Ramos for yeah. that knockout round game, put it that way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I actually think the secret to all the Tab Ramos stuff mm-hmm. is uh, – He's, he's bought a couple of players that aren't fully fit. Yeah. Like, I think the reason McKenzie played right back against uh, Cutter and it didn't look good is because they just wanted to get him a run out because mm-hmm. he's you know, back from an injury and hasn't played much this season. And then Yudishi Janez, I think everyone would love to see him, but he hasn't played any competitive minutes for ages because he joined Wolfsburg. Mm-hmm. And, they didn't, and I think he can't play for the U19s yet, so he's only been playing in scrimmages. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of basically fitness problems where maybe Tabrama shouldn't have taken players that weren't fully fit because mm-hmm. now he's struggling to get the minutes and struggling to know whether he should play them or not. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Some accidental U20 coverage there you go. in the Scouting Network. <laughs> Can we, we'll consider that one done too. All right. <laughs> that, that game previewed now. <laughs> Next up, mm-hmm. oh, it's me, right? It is. Great Hair Gaming. Great Hair Gaming is scouting Indiana Vasilev, 18-year-old American midfielder for the Premier League's Aston Villa. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> oh. Nothing bad, just, Yeah. Greyhead Gaming says, Indiana Vasilev represented Villa at the illustrious Hong Kong Football Club City Soccer Sevens, the premier seven-a-side tournament in the world, where Villa didn't get out of a group including Leicester, Kichi, and, not a typo, Singapore Cricket Club. Um, here's to Indiana getting a loan move to somewhere, anywhere, in the English Pyramid for 2019-20 so we can get some real playing time. So he's still with Villa. I, I, I hope I yeah, didn't I really been no, let go no, that. No, not that, but just more so that if he's playing in the premier seven-a-side tournament in the world, quote-unquote, uh, not necessarily training with the Premier League team. At least he's not the 70th best seven-a-side tournament in the world. It may well be. <laughs> uh, Mike Phelan scouting Hannes Wolf, the 20-year-old Austrian uh, midfielder for RB Salzburg. RB Salzburg closed out its title-winning campaign by thrashing St. Paulton 7-0, with Hannes going the full 90 and scoring in the 67th and 87th minutes. Hannes finished the year with six goals and a team-high nine assists across all competitions, and will look to build on that strong season as he steps up a level next year, following an already agreed-upon transfer to oh, RB Leipzig. So he and Jesse Marsh are trading places. Jesse Marsh doesn't get to coach mm-hmm. Hannes Wolf. It must be tough for RB to have that pipeline. I don't know how they're doing it. Yeah, Russell Varner is scouting Alex Mendes, mm-hmm. the 18-year-old American midfielder for SC Freiburg. Uh, Russell says, Wednesday's win against Cutter was one to forget for Mendes. For all his positive moments, numerous fouls won and lovely three ball to wear in the 89th minute. Did you see that? Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there were negative ones to overshadow or cancel them out. See his penalty kick that was saved, his yellow card that means he will miss their playoff match, and three or four direct free kicks, almost all of which went over the bar. Mm-hmm. He did, didn't he have the tackle to set up Tim Weyer for the goal? I believe that's yeah. correct, yeah. So I don't, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. Uh-huh. It wasn't all bad. I think the yellow card suspension overshadows. Yeah. Uh, if you want a slightly more optimistic one, I should have noted, uh, but I think I took it out, Ryan LaRose when he was talking about Rafael Camacho, the team that's most heavily linked with triggering that £10 million buyout clause, Wolverhampton Wanderers. So that should make you maybe happy? Maybe. Doesn't he <laughs> play Matt Doherty's position? I don't want him pushing Matt Doherty out of the way. All right, fine. It doesn't have to make you happy. Uh, Never mind. I'm sorry. I tried. Uh, Josh Dollar scouting Blake Bodley, 21-year-old American winger for the Timbers U23s and the University of Washington. Josh got to watch Blake in person as his U23 squad lost 4-0 to the Sounders U23s. Not ideal. Blake was important in keeping the ball and tempo moving, but missed on all of his crosses and failed in most of his take-ons. Uh, Josh says Blake looked like a guy used to being able to beat college kids, but 
the U23s were a bit too physical and athletic for him. It's all about that learning curve. Mm-hmm. All about that learning curve. Nick Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sabi, the 21-year-old American attacker for Hobro. Sabi played the hero again for Hobro with the only goal in a 1-0 win in the first leg of the relegation playoff versus Viberg. Sabi collected a loose ball after he muscled a defender off the ball, then poked it past the keeper. Hobro plays Viberg in the second leg on Sunday to try to stave off relegation again. I feel like they're just permanently getting just relegated. <laughs> yes, I think, I think that was like one relegation playoff to then have to do another relegation playoff. How I many times are they going to try and relegate Hobro? That's just the whole, I, wonder, I wonder if Nick just thinks the season is a relegation playoff. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just always trying to see off relegation one game at a time. I doubt it's that, Nick. Oh, um, the final one's on you. Uh, it is uh, David Novoshevsky scouting Sebastian Szymanski, 20-year-old Polish midfielder for Dynamo Moscow now. Um, Ooh, okay, that's our boy is heading east and joining <laughs> Dynamo Moscow for a reported 5.5 million euro transfer fee. A quick look at the Dynamo Moscow roster did not disclose any familiar faces to this scribe, says David. <laughs> um, your intrepid scout, says David, will need to brush up on his Russian to keep the TSS crowd apprised of Sebastian's progress. Yania Gavruparuski. That's what I can say to you. What? That's something about Peru. Right? I do not speak Russian is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> also, Yatibialo Blue is I love you. That's what I got. Aww. That's what I got. Right back at you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which. Vodka. Taylor Rockwell. And now I'm out. <laughs> Thank you. Back to stereotypes. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, Tavarish. Listeners, thank you for listening. We will talk to you again tomorrow after the Champions League final. <laughs>